Thanks, Chelsea and the team. That's great. So um, we've been doing a teaching sermon series. We've done one week. So when I say we've been doing, we've started. Uh, it's a sermon series on one of our phrases, share. So follow, bless and share is what we're really committed to as a church. Following Jesus, um, blessing the world and, and then sharing with each other. And so this is the second series. Last time, I don't know if anyone remembers what it was last week. Speak the truth in love. Well done, there's a point there. So speak the truth in love. And I think the thing that I took home from that is we can speak the truth, we can speak in love, but unless those two are together, we're, we're not doing a great job. Um, truth without love is pretty nasty and... Love without truth is manipulative or abusive or something. So, so just keeping those truth and love being really important for us. So um, Matt challenged us. He said, I'd like you to go out and ask three people for some feedback um, and, and to speak into your life in truth and love. I don't know how you've gone with that. I'm just expecting everyone's gone and done that and it's been a great experience. Okay? If you haven't, then you can actually, there's no deadline for that task, so you can, you can try again but really encourage you to do that. Um, today we're looking at having space. Now the important part here, this, is, this, this whole section is called share, which is about sharing life together. This one, having space, is one that's really important for you to have yourself and having space for others, and we'll talk about both of them. Let's talk about yourself first. How do you have space for yourself? Now there's a whole different bunch of arenas where this is important. When I say having space, we often talk about time. That's one of the things. So having time for yourself to be able to recenter and refocus or whatever. But I'm going to list through a bunch of these things. There's having space financially. All right. I don't know. I, I lived, lived on gift income for a, a 10, 11 years. And there was often not a lot of income. And it often took quite a bit of energy just to manage how are we going to make it through you know, this month or whatever. And I know on a paycheck it can be a very similar experience. There's so many in our society who are living paycheck to paycheck starting to panic as that two week comes up and starting to have to work out, oh my goodness, how are we going to make it through this one? And so there's financial space. I don't know, we'll talk about how to work through some of these in a minute. There's also emotional space. You know when the feeling world is right up here and you're on the edge either with anger or with tears and your emotional world is kind of a bit the glass is quite full and about to overflow kind of thing. And so having emotion, finding space for your emotional world. There's also the physical. How do you have physical space? That'll look like sleep and rest. And my body just needs a break, all right? It might be that I need to sunbake on the beach one afternoon, okay? Don't picture that, by the way. Um, there's also social space. Now, this will be different for different people. I just need some time away from people just so I can collect myself again having space from people. Now, for some people, it actually might be the opposite of I just need some space with people just to actually be able to breathe again because on my own it gets pretty intense. All right? It could be both ways. We talked about time. I think that's the obvious one, having time. Um, I don't know how busy your schedule is. Um, often people say, I'm talking at Lena Valley, often people say that as you hit retirement you have less time than what you had before. It's just unstructured work rather than structured. I don't know if that resonates. Um, also, mental space. Sometimes your thoughts might be, your brain might just be going overloaded and you might need to find, how do I find space in my mental arena? 
And that, that's an interesting one, trying to get to sleep and your brain's just racing or whatever it is. Um, and then how do you find space in your spiritual arena? So spiritual is about meaning and purpose, connection with God, eternal. And do you need to find space where, because you're lacking meaning and purpose, do you need to find a way of having time with God um, and finding, finding a bit more spiritual depth there as well? Now, I want to show you a picture that kind of captures a bit of what this looks like. So this is a... I went into someone's room in this building <laughs> this week. No, this is no one's room that I know. Um, I just did a general search on the internet for messy youth bedroom. I don't know why I just put youth in that word, but it seems to be a thing. Um, now, you can see a fair bit of chaos there. It's difficult to find space in that place. Um, as, as a youth worker, I often felt one of my jobs was, and, and I'd have a mental picture of this kind of thing, can you imagine trying to find where to put your feet on the floor so you can actually stand firm and strong? It's difficult in a place like that. Everything I step on, there's Lego and there's, it's always Lego. Clothes, keeping the carpet clean, that's what they excuse themselves with. But it's hard to find for a young person with all this clutter and all this stuff going on, everything they have to manage, where can I just stand and be myself? And as a youth worker, I often felt like I was lending a part of myself to help them just clear enough space to find a foothold so that they could stand and, and begin to be centred and find themselves. And for a youth progressing through the emotional years, that, that's been quite significant. And so watching these young people find out, who am I? What am I like? What am I worth? Where can I stand confidently? is about clearing some of the clutter and making some space for themselves. Now, as I talk about all those arenas, that job doesn't change. I don't know if you can relate to that picture in one of those arenas of your life. Yours might be mental or it might be rest. You might have a completely cluttered schedule. You might be financially just drawn out and you just need to work out, where can I put my feet to find some space? Now, there's not normally a silver bullet for this sort of thing. There's what has to happen is you need to actually reprioritise, rework out, well, how am I spending my time? How am I spending my money? How am I investing in my relationship with God? How can I actually change my behaviour and my patterns of behaviour, my priorities, so that I have a bit more space so that I can stand firm? That's what we're talking about today. All right? We're going to do a little survey because I'd like to see roughly where the church feels it's lacking space. So we'll chuck up this Mentimeter. If you know how to scan it, um, that's great. I, I do see a quarter of our congregation go, oh, I'm not using tech again. But give it a shot. And if, if you struggle with that, just get the person next to you to write it in for you. What I'd like you to do with this questionnaire is it, it asks you about in those seven arenas, where do I not have enough space? You can slide it right up to five if you don't have enough space in that arena. Okay? If you think, actually, do you know what? Time-wise, I think I'm in a sweet spot. That would be number one because it's just right. Okay, so where do I not have enough space? So we're going to leave you for a few minutes to have a go at that. We'll pop the results up and see where, as a whole congregation, we feel like we are. Okay, go for it. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll stop talking for a bit. Technology is giving me all the stress. All right, I'm just looking up the results. I can share them with you. I see that. So that's where we're sitting as a church. Spiritual, creating more space for our spirits is important. Um, and emotional space goes along with that. I'm not surprised those two are fairly strongly linked. All right, interesting. 
Uh, it's, I can't tell from that how many people answered. Uh, 57. So that's a, that's a lot of people who answered. So thank you, guys. Let's keep going. The other part of it is how do we make space for other people? So we'll talk about how to make space at the end of this talk. Um, we'll come back to that. How do we make space for others is another important thing. There are so many verses about um, putting others above yourself or loving others as yourself. And how do we create space for them? We'll look at Jesus in a minute because he's a, a really great example. Um, but I was hanging out with a few 12-year-olds the other day. It sounds creepy. I've got a kid who was 12. Um, and so uh, just, just hanging out with them and watching how they relate together. And these three 12-year-olds... Uh, and I've seen it all over the place, were really busy. All three of them were talking at once. No one was listening, and they were having a great time. All right? I don't know if you've experienced that. And it's a part of child development is my world revolves around myself as a child, um, and, I, and it's not until a bit later you start to work out that there's such thing as connection. And so you'll watch a five-year-old child. They play in parallel to each other. They don't play with each other. It actually takes a more mature person to actually initiate something where they can actually play together rather than just in parallel on their own. And you'll see that development happen. But, but I've seen plenty of times for teenagers, as they reach 14, 16, 17, they start to learn that you can have really beautiful, strong connections with other people by making space for each other. So hopefully we've all made it through that stage in here. But, um, but we've worked out that actually there's something really precious about putting myself aside for a minute and having space for the other. And that's, that's the relationship side of thing. Part of that is how can I, as a Christian, provide space for others and strengthen connection as a relationship, but also allow them to have space to learn how to connect with God. And I, I remember I've talked quite a few times um, just getting a bunch of teenagers, there'd be a classroom of 20 or 30 of them, 13-year-olds, um, and I'd say, just lay on the floor, get comfortable. We're just going to have a minute silence and just, just find something in that minute. You know, Focus on your breathing, concentrate on how your body's feeling, and we'll just have a minute silence. Now, for a 12 or 13, that is nigh on impossible. And so as soon as you're five seconds in, someone does a fart, everyone else laughs, and someone does a burp, and they're all chuckling, and then someone starts laughing hysterically and has to leave the room. And, but it takes a few goes to have you to practice. But I'll tell you, after a few times of working out how to have silence, there's something, it only takes a few goes to learn it, there's something about this really precious thing of having some silence together in, in, in that space, and you only have to have that silence for a minute or three minutes, five minutes, and you'll notice after that time, everyone's like oh, taking a deep breath and like these kids have learned that silence and space is precious. And there's something nice about doing it together, but also just to teach them that you don't have to be fully engaged all the time. You can actually stop and just focus on the here and now. Um, I had a really good Christian friend in England who was part of, he was right behind all the research on mindfulness and how, how significant that was, being present in the moment, how important it is for our mental health. And, um, yeah, so anyway, so that's, that's one thing that I think is really precious that we learn is how do we make that space and how do we help others find that space? Let's have a look at Jesus. He gives such a good example. Now, if you want to know what Jesus did, you read Mark. If you want to know a bit more of his character and, and his, why he does things, you read Luke 
If you want to know how Jesus fits in the whole of history and the eternal plan, you read Matthew. So we're going to look at Luke because I want to get some of the subtleties of how Jesus related to people. And Luke actually goes into actually sharing a few stories of how Jesus relates to others. And you really capture a glimpse of, of who Jesus was and what he was like. So you'll know the story of Zacchaeus. Well, some of you will know the story of Zacchaeus. Um, he was, it's funny, the Bible gives us detail. He was a short guy that climbed up a sycamore tree. Okay? Now, let's go, let's go a bit more detail than that, though. Um, I want you to imagine, I don't know how to do this sensitively, but imagine in World War II that the Japanese actually won, defeated the Pacific. And then what that would mean for us now is we would be learning Japanese as our official language at school. We would actually have armies controlling our streets and making sure that we did what we were supposed to do. We would be oppressed. In, in the case of looking at the Israel times, they were oppressed for hundreds of years by the opposing force. So I want you to, we'll go back to the Middle East. Israel had been under Roman occupation for, for a long time, 130 years in a really concentrated, strong way. So I want you to imagine, can you picture back 130 years ago that's your great-grandparents. Since that time, you've been under the occupation of the Roman army. Now, there are people among us, among those Israeli people, who actually took your taxes to actually bolster the army and to keep you oppressed. All right? What we need to do is we need to get a view of what, how, how Zacchaeus was viewed by those around him. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So he managed all these tax collectors. He then took took your money and gave it to the Roman Empire so that they could continue to oppress you. All right? They were a force that said, um, you can shoot to kill just to keep control and order. All right? It doesn't matter what you do, you won't be judged. We're, we're actually needing to keep control of these people. Zacchaeus is the main conduit in Jericho that keeps his people oppressed. Now, I don't think we can really get a grasp of what that would be like, but, geez, there'd be some hatred amongst us of that guy we would be you'd see him down the street we would feel sick just even seeing him because he's the conduit who's betraying our people and continuing to betray us and he's really rich can you picture it all can i don't, I don't know if you can feel their hatred rise it's it's really hard to picture how they would have viewed him all right but zacchaeus hears all this stuff about jesus this little short tax collector who's filthy rich off the, off the taxes of the people, he um, hears about this Jesus guy who's coming through Jericho. And he, because he's so short, this is a bit I can't quite picture, a wealthy guy who's short, who climbs up a tree. All right? <laughs> That's a, I, mean, I don't think I've seen that before. But anyway, this guy climbs up a tree because he wants a better view. Now, sycamore tree is like a fig tree. It's low branches. He's probably only one branch up, you know, this high. He's not up there somewhere. But he's just sitting up in this little tree because he wants to get a glimpse of this famous person walking past who everyone's talking about. And so Zacchaeus is up there and as Jesus walks past, people would have noticed this guy in elaborate clothing sitting up the tree, probably a fairly normal thing to do. But Jesus actually looks at him and he just says, Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house tonight. Now, if you're in that crowd, your view of Zacchaeus is repulsion and hatred. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your place. Now, this, this is where we start to talk about having space for people. Why would Jesus do that? Like, surely that's someone he should have nothing to do with. 
Surely that's going to taint his reputation, destroy it. And then Jesus says, I want to have dinner at your place tonight. Now the difference that that makes, that is life-changing. That little act is life-changing for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus invites him over and he says to him, guys, I'm going to give away half of everything I've got. Can you see the difference Jesus made by giving space to this guy? He says, I'm going to give away half of everything I've got. And if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to give them back four times what I stole from them. His life is transformed by Jesus seeing him and giving him a bit of space. And that's a beautiful story there. You'll know about Mary and Martha as well. Um, Mary and Martha, they also live not far from there. And Jesus is uh, in Luke chapter 10. So again, Luke gets, gives you a bit more glimpse into the story. Jesus is going to his friend's house, Mary and Martha. Lazarus lives there as well. And he walks in and Mary just plonks at his feet and just starts listening to him. I reckon a lot of us would be in that situation. But let me tell you what Luke says about Martha. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Some of us can relate to that as well. Okay, Martha's like flat out, oh my goodness, we didn't even clean the kitchen. Um, and oh, I haven't even got any bread. All right, she's really distracted because Jesus is there and she wants to look, be hospitable. Mary is there and she wants to just be with Jesus and hear him. Now, you look at the subtle interaction and Martha actually trips out a bit and says to Jesus, don't you care that Mary's not helping me? My goodness. Um, and Jesus said, Martha, Mary's doing what's important here. And he sees her and he invites her into that, just have a bit of space, Martha. You don't have to get flustered and worry about all that stuff. Be present, I think is what he's saying to her. Mary's, Mary's making a good choice here. And you look at Jesus all the way through. He's caring for people around him. Uh, I would call Jesus the patron saint of the disabled people because he always seems to have time for disabled people for the blind, the unhealthy, the, the sick. And he seems to always have time for them and to see them. The, the disciples often say, shush, get out of the way. Jesus is more important than you. That what we're doing is important here. And Jesus just has space and says, no, call them here and let's fix that up. And you'll notice he does the same for children. Whenever the children are there, the disciples are pushing them out. Jesus said, no, the kingdom's for such like these. Bring them in and he blesses them. And so Jesus just constantly, even when his disciples have got it all wrong and they're irritating and they're saying, who's going to be the most important person when, when your kingdom comes? Can I sit on your left and right side? Jesus just seems to have space for them. And he, he must have rolled his eyes. I can't see how he wouldn't. But he just goes, guys, I don't think you've got this. And, and then he just provides a place that's safe for them um, and just responds to them. And, and I love looking at Jesus of having space for people. All right, but Matthew wants to tie this in to the Old Testament. And so Matthew wants to show us what did, what did the old prophets say about who the Messiah would be. And let's, let's have a look at that. So in Isaiah chapter 42, it says this. Look at my servant. So Isaiah, 730 years ago, is talking about the Messiah who's coming. And he says, look at my servant, God is saying, look at my servant whom I strengthen." He is my chosen one who, who pleases me. I've put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He'll bring justice to all who have been wronged and he will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. 
even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. Do you know he wrote to Tasmania like that in Isaiah? Um, even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. And so here, the, the bit I want to focus on, he will not crush the weakest reed. Uh, can you picture uh, bulrushes with those long stems and one of those lobby bits at the top? Alistair will give me the technical terms. Um, but if you kink one of those, they become really fragile and they can't really stand on their own. And this one says, Isaiah, he will not crush the weakest reed. So he will, ha- he will care for that weakest reed. I don't know how you're feeling in any of those arenas that we talked about, but Jesus will be there with you and he won't just rip you off and throw you out. He actually cares for the crushed reed. Um, it says he will not snuff out the, um, the flickering candle. Can you picture a candle that's just got that orange tint at the top of it, bit of smoke coming off, it's trying hard to stay lit, but it's just really struggling. It's right on the edge of being snuffed out. And Jesus will not snuff it out. He will breathe back into it and bring life to it. So Jesus is the person who will actually breathe life and care for that. So I don't know how you're feeling in your emotional world, in your physical world, but Jesus cares. Um, that's the person who was prophesied. And you, you see through these stories him doing that. Zacchaeus, I really care. And he, he supports this little broken reed. Martha, I really care, and, and he breathes a bit of life back into her. Now, I want to have a look at the verses. We're going we're to stick these up on the screen so that we've got time to read them. The, the first one says, for us as a, as a Christian group in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. You got that one, Dale? Yep, I can step this way. I can do that. He's got it. Um, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, Every part rejoices with it. I don't know if you've experienced an intimate community, hopefully here as a congregation and as a group of mates, as a Bible study group, this verse will be very alive for you. When one part suffers, we all suffer. And when one part rejoices, we're right there with it. And this thing of being in community requires you to have space for others. All right. If we're all just living our little parallel lives and I'm celebrating that no one else is celebrating with me, we're just having parallel lives, not integrated lives. That's the difference that we as a Christian community will live. We will be broken hearted when one of us are broken hearted and we will share each other's journeys. That's what it means to be a Christian caring community. In Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Paul goes the extra mile on this one. Most of the other verses say love others as yourself. Here he says value others above yourself. That's even tougher. Um, And so how can you make sure in your busyness, in your financial distraughtness or whatever, how can you make sure that you put that aside and actually value others above yourself? We all know stories throughout Christian history of people giving of themselves and sacrificing for others. We'll look at this next one, Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's exciting. So knowing Christ, we are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. What a command from God. One of the things in Aussie culture is to get enough stuff and finance and things so that you can be okay without needing anyone else. Okay, that's the, that's the Aussie dream. To, to not need anyone else but be fine on yourself, on your own. That's not what we're preaching here. It says, you are free, now go and love and serve humbly others. 
Don't build your own nest. Love and serve and help others find that as well. Um, and freedom comes with the responsibility of freeing others. All right, so there's a few things. Now, they're quite threatening. If we take those verses seriously, we, we will be denying ourselves and we will be giving of ourselves to others. Now, that's fantastic, and I think that's a life well spent. But the thing I want to talk a little bit about is boundaries because if I give of myself so much, there'll be nothing left to give. I'll use myself up if I'm not careful. So how do we build appropriate boundaries as well? Um, I heard one guy saying last week in my kingdom cell, I'm not, I don't know where the quote came from, I can't find it, said something like this. As a doormat, all right, we're talking about people just giving themselves over and over and over with no boundaries. As a doormat, it doesn't matter how flat you lay, there will always be someone to complain that you're still a tripping hazard. Okay? Which I think is a great statement. Um, our job is not to be doormats. Um, our job, as Jesus showed us, is that he had space for himself as well. He went up on a mountainside, had quiet time. He kept connecting with God. He knew that without God, he wouldn't have the strength to continue, um, all that sort of stuff. But he wasn't a doormat. I'm not asking us to be doormats, not to, to give everything up and not look after yourself. In Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And so part of the journey, I think pretty much most of what I'm talking about today, is how can we actually set our life on a path direction that we need to have space and then have the self-control to follow it through, one of the fruits of the Spirit. An illustration that I appreciate for this is, um, I'm going to tell you a slightly longer story. I hope it's worthwhile, but just getting this illustration in your mind. Um, one and a half thousand years ago on the British Isles, uh, Rome had evacuated, had, had retreated. All of, the, um, all of the infrastructure just left the nation and left it to tribal-based you know, survival of the fittest. Um, but what happened was that there was, I, I have to shortcut this bit, but there was Patrick who took Christianity back to Ireland, is a beautiful story, and then Columba a generation after, and Bridie, Bridget, who take Christianity and build communities. And within a couple of decades, Ireland becomes a Christian nation. And then Columba um, takes Christianity over towards the Picts, who were really violent people at the time, up in the north, the Hebrides on the west of Scotland, and they established an island called Iona. And they, they set that up as a Christian ministry. And from there, they reached out. And when Europe calls it the Dark Ages, because Rome retreated and it became really dark times, um, in Ireland and in Scotland, what happened is it was a period of enlightenment. And scientific research, hospitality, reading, libraries, all of these stuff became really significant in those communities. And then, so that's in the Ireland and Scotland area. What happened was there was a, there was a lot of fights between clans. And over on the eastern, northeastern side of Eng, what we call England now, there was a kingdom that was really powerful, but it, the king got killed by one of the neighbouring pagans and then they took over. And this king's son became king eventually and actually... Against all odds, he committed his um, warring to God and said, we're going to take back what was ours, our, king, our kingdom. And he, he defeats them and he sets up this castle, which is called Bamber Castle. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen it. This is not it. This is a later. It's evolved and evolved and evolved to be this beautiful castle on the sea there. But the kingdom was the biggest in England at the time. So it was a big kingdom. And the, the king writes to the people in Iona and he says can you send some priests over because we need more of God over here? 
All right. Now, it was a really pagan area. There wasn't much Christianity at all around there at the time. And so Iona says, all right, we'll send over some people. They send over a few people, an envoy. That envoy lasts for six weeks, and they just head back to Iona and said, we give up. We can't help these people. They're, they're barbarians. They will never get to know God. Um, and so they actually gave up. And there was this young 21-year-old guy called Aidan, and he, he was listening in this meeting about how they'd just given up and there's no hope for reaching these people. They're, they're crazies. Um, and this young 21-year-old stands up and he says, guys, the problem is you didn't love them enough. And, and he explains, you tried to impose on them your life and you didn't love them enough. And so they said, <laughs> I don't know what their tone was, might have been, oh, you try then. Or it might have been, oh, you sound like you've got a bit of passion, you go for it. Um, and so Aidan takes 12 guys over and they head over to this castle, to Bamba. Um, and the king says, I want you to live in my courts and you'll be in the centre of our community and you will really, we want God to be right at the heart of everything we do. And as king and priest, we can make this nation great. Um, and Aidan says, no, I don't think that's right because I need a bit of space from all the politics and all the powers and stuff. And Aidan looks across the bay and he sees this little island. So we've got a photo of that. This is called Holy Island. It's just, you know, 20, 30 kilometres away. Can you see at the top part of that there's a spit of, la of sand across? Now, the important part of this story, that sand is at low tide and there's a road across. And I call it the Pilgrim's Way now. But at high tide, that's an island. And there's, if you Google Holy Island, one of the first pictures you'll see is cars flooded up to their rooftop because <laughs> they tried to get across when they shouldn't. All right, so that, that's an island at high tide and land at low tide. And Aidan said, I want to go, I need to be separate from your empire so that we can be a worshipping community and, and we'll go over there. So the reason this is important for us, what Aidan said is with the tides, every, tide, the every time the tide comes in, we become an island and we re-centre, we have space for ourselves as a Christian worshipping community. We refocus ourselves, I think a bit like what a Sunday morning is supposed to be like. Um, we actually become one together under God. But every time the tide goes out, then that's a message that we need to go back out into the world and love and, and, love and serve. And Aidan was really known for how generous he was with his time and, and everything. And so with us, with this, this thing about share and boundaries, just how important it is for us to be able to regroup, to recenter. If you're running on empty, you won't have much to give. You won't be able to create, help others create space. But if you can actually recenter, refocus, spend time with God, get emotionally and spiritually and mentally strong, and then have the space for that, and then every time the tide goes out, whatever that is for you, then it's time for you to step back out into the world and to love and serve. And then come back in and regroup, go back out come back in and go back out. As Christians, sometimes we just want to stay on Holy Island and we don't want to go out. We just want to be a safe little oasis that puts up its walls so that to protect it from the world. And that's not what this model shows. This model shows we come together, we love, we, we have a community together, and then we go out. And so really encouraging us. Now, going out, what does that look like for you? It might be that you make space to walk along the beach with someone. It might be that you make space to go and have a banjos pie with someone at lunchtime. It might be that you actually provide some finances for someone you know is struggling. It might be that you, you know a young couple with to toddlers and life is busy 
and you just go and offer to babysit so that they can have a break, all right, and help them with their tiredness? How can you make space for others um, just so that you can love and serve relevantly? Now, to, to finish off with, how do we find this space? This is the bit that you're going to have to work through this week. Um, I said before, there's no silver bullet. Sometimes to work out how to have space, if I'm really financially right on the edge all the way through, or if I have no time at all in my diary, I'm just flat out, I might be working two jobs and I just can't get enough time for myself. I don't think, you need, I don't think your job is to wait for the cavalry for things to come right. I think your job is to actually look at how am I spending my money? How am I using my time? How do I reprioritise so that I have a bit of space? And it might mean, and I know for those, there are some people who are really in financial difficulty or really worked out for time, you probably need to talk to someone about it. But for most of us, it'll be, do you know what, I just need to reprioritise. Maybe I don't need that new car. Maybe I don't need that new whatever. Maybe I need to downsize my house so that this isn't an issue. I've got some friends who actually sold their house and built a micro house to relieve that financial tension. All right, maybe I need to reprioritise some way so that I'm not living fully maxed out all the time, but I have space for myself and space for others. So basically what I'm asking is, what do you need to give up so that you have space for others? I think one of the big ones, this is quite interesting, I don't know if you've done this before, on your phone there's a, a thing called the well-being. On an, on an Android, it, it's called well-being. So I slide down the top and I hit the cog, you can do this with me if you want. I'm going to do it right now. Hit my cog and halfway down there's a thing that says well-being, digital well-being and parental controls. That might be a helpful one for parents. And it shows you how you've used your screen today. So I can have a look at my apps and see what, how many of my apps I've been using, how long my screen's been open for. And I can actually look at how much time I've spent over the last week here, oh, can I go back a week? Here's my last week. I know you can't read it, but that's my last week of screen time. And so I can look at how much time am I investing in nothingness, okay? My digital device is useful for a few things, but mostly I just use it for blah time, all right? I come out of that time and just blah, all right? Watching Netflix, scrolling through Facebooks, whatever it is that you do, playing Candy Crush, um, I don't know what you do, but the phone, you'll be using it for hours and hours, especially for our younger guys, but that won't create space for you. That, that's designed to consume your space and become addictive. And so how can you actually, one of the easiest ways if you're short on time is put in some controls that say, I, I can actually tell Facebook I only get 20 minutes a day on Facebook or 10 minutes a day on Netflix or whatever it is. You can set your times and it won't let you do more than that. So I'd encourage you, set some limits um, and then find, find ways of using your time in different ways. There'll be other ways that you spend your time, but that's one of the real key identifiers of this generation is our, our just numbness on a phone. So my challenge to you, we'll finish with one verse in a second, but my challenge to you is how do you make sure that you have enough space in your life for those different arenas so that you can then also provide space for others. So don't just do space for yourself, go out um, and help others find space. So I really encourage you with that this week. Find ways that you can actually use some of your time and space and resource to bless others and to love others. So I'd love to hear some stories in a week's time 
of how you've been a blessing and actually shared some of what you have with others so that they can find more of themselves. All right, who's up for that challenge? I'll give you a second to think about it. Don't commit until you're ready. But who's up for that challenge? Okay, I am, I am. Um, and so let's be a community that loves well and that shares of what we have. I'm going to pray. I'll just invite the band back at Mornington. Thanks for your job today, Chelsea and the team. You're doing a great job. But let's just pray. Heavenly Father, it's, a, it's with a bit of a heavy heart that we come to this topic because I'm sure for a lot of us our life feels full. Father, help us, prompt us, Holy Spirit, into where you want us to have more space. Help us to have the courage to follow that through. Help us to have the self-discipline to be able to manage it. Father, help us to patterns of behaviour in life that really set us apart, that give us the space. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for your example. And we want to live this life. Help us to have time for others. Amen. Thanks. Thanks for that, Dan. Um, please.